Tuesdays are for education on Eva Talks. My guest today is the co-founder of Creo Consulting, an agency and consulting firm for Latin American luxury brands seeking to enter the international market. Uh, but she is uh, very dynamic, very smart. She's now going to speak in Princeton, but let me just not talk anymore. Um, Giovanna Campagna, welcome to Eva Talks. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Very excited. Um, what's incredible is that you're very young. Um, you started with Clo Chavarria, something very unique that didn't really exist in New York, where we are right now in, in your beautiful apartment. Tell us a little bit, how did everything start? Uh, to the idea of creating this consulting agency? Yes, yeah, so it goes back to, so basically my first job after college was at Vogue magazine here in New York. And I worked in the special events department and also wrote for Vogue.com. And it was really an amazing uh, launch pad for me because here in New York, especially in the, in the fashion industry, the magazines and media are really sort of the center of the, Right. of the whole industry. So it was really an amazing place to learn and learn such work ethic and uh, standards. And it's really just, it was sort of like, a, I think of it as another education. Basically, it was like two years of another master's at Vogue. Uh, and then from there, I went to W Magazine. And at that point, actually, so Clo Clo was producing the runway show for Hater Ackerman in, in Medellin for Colombia Moda. So Cloclo is from Colombia. Yes. So Hyder Ackerman is from Colombia. Exactly. So Hyder Ackerman <laughs> is from Colombia. And Cloclo, my cousin and partner, is also from Colombia. She grew up a few years in Colombia, but then actually she was living in Europe for most of her life. And I grew up here in New York. So my, my mother is Colombian, my father is American. And so basically, Clo got this very exciting project. And it was amazing because it was the first time that a designer of that level was going to be doing a runway show in Medellin, in Colombia. Um, so she suggested that I come down for it. And she suggested that I pitch it to W Magazine's website to see if they would cover it. And they did. So I went basically as a journalist for W and I covered the event, the runway show. Um, I went and met with a few designers that at that point were really just starting out. Um, so like Paula Mendoza was showing her collection there. Uh, she hadn't really had her big you know, moment on the scene yet. Uh, so I remember I included her in my story. Um, it was really sort of, so this is in 2000. 13. So it was really before Colombian fashion really exploded. And anyway, so that was sort of the first time that Coco and I worked together. And then fast forward two years, I was actually in London doing a master's in art history because I had sort of a moment where I wasn't exactly sure if I, I wasn't convinced that I wanted to stay in fashion or in fashion journalism per se. So I moved to London and Clo-Clo was also living there. And basically in between what she had been doing is she had been helping international brands expand and uh, basically opening their franchises in Colombia. So she and her brother brought Vilberca and Emporio Armani and Armani Exchange to Colombia. And so at this point, we found ourselves together in London and 
I had been, you know, working in, in New York in the fashion industry and she had been working in Colombia in the fashion industry. And we kept coming back to this idea where, like, you know, it'd be great to do something together. What could we do? And we just sort of realized that around us, all of these designers had started to be, you know, starting to appear and um, design really interesting things. Every time we would go abroad, our friends would say, you know, oh, where did you get this? Like, what a beautiful bag, beautiful earrings. We'd say, oh, we got it in Colombia. And we sort of started to realize that there was a hole in the market, that no one was really, there was really no channel for these designers to expand internationally or for people to see them, to be able to shop for them. So basically in November of 2014, so we were like, okay, you know what, we should just, we should just try and maybe see if we could like set up a showroom in New York, bring some of these brands, introduce them to everyone we know. And we wanted to take a bit more time than we, because, you know, we were, it was, it was new for us. We hadn't really done, we hadn't really been entrepreneurs yet. So we were a bit hesitant. We're like, I don't know, maybe let's wait till September. Um, but basically, so Johanna Ortiz reached out to us because she had just sold her first collection on Moda Brandy and it went very well. And she said, you know, I want to show in New York during Fashion Week in February. Uh, why don't we like, why don't I show with you guys? And we're like, ah, I don't know, actually, I'm not sure if we're ready. So we actually recommended someone else. And she said, no, 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 like, let's just try it. So we ended up basically in a month organized a showroom in New York here at the Standard Hotel. We had uh, Joanna Ortiz's, so her fall 2015 collection. We had a brand called Carmelina's, a shoe brand. Um, we had Mola Sasa, which is a beautiful handbag brand from Colombia. And basically, I think that was it. I think we started very small with three brands. Uh, we set up the showroom here in New York and we just invited any contacts that we had in the industry. So we invited uh, a lot of editors, people I'd worked with. We managed to invite uh, Linda Fargo through Clove Close. So Linda Fargo, the, the head of fashion at uh, Bergdorf Goodman. Right. And really it all sort of, we got the reactions we got were so positive that we realized we think we're onto something. And really it was from that first showroom that everything sort of took off. And right. yeah. I think one of the, you know, life puts you in situations that you never expect. And I, I always believe that it has the destiny that you're supposed to take already paved for you. Definitely. But I, what, what most, I think one of the things that I most admire about what you've done for Colombian designers is taking, for example, Pepa Pombo, yes. who had been in the scene for, I don't even know how many years. I mean, she... Since 1978. Well, can you imagine? <laughs> Forever. I mean, if there was yes. one person that really you could, you know, see that her was been there, uh, showing, you know, had her stable of clients. But what you did with the brand was evolve it into a new direction exactly. without disrupting the DNA of the brand. Exactly. You respected yes. who Pepa Pombo was, her knitwear, her you know, everything, but just styled in a different way. I remember going to your showroom in Paris and I was like, okay, tell me who's done this because yeah. I need her name, her <laughs> contact information. I mean, it's so funny, but I, and yeah, that, I think that's very important. And it showcases how, when you take something that's well done, mm -hmm. but you polish it a little bit, 
exactly. for the eye of who you want to target, how the story changes. Exactly. No, and I'm I'm so happy that you that you liked that work and you recognized it. But basically, yes. Yeah, so Pepa Bombo, we had known about the brand basically all our lives. Our mothers would buy pieces, our aunts, and so she has this mastery over her technique so you know they they basically call her the misoni of colombia and it's this incredible weaving technique um you know one pair of pants can take 10 days to make because it's really like a loom and basically so when they approached us we said you know we love your brand we love your work we think you ha- really have something unique but we want to sort of help you do a rebranding for the international market so for the first collection we showed of theirs Basically, what we did, we went through all of their archives and their recent collections, and we curated a capsule collection. So pieces that we thought would do well um, in the international market and pieces that we thought felt a bit more young and on trend and youthful. And so then from there, we helped them create their first sort of internationally minded lookbook. So we booked a photographer here in New York. We found a model in New York, hairstylist. We just felt like it needed a bit of like an international eye. And the result was amazing. It was, the brand was shown, I think the clothes were showcased in a very different way. You know, it's uh, when you work with a stylist that has a fresh perspective on the brand, that really makes a big difference. And it was interesting because it went from, we really saw that girls all of a sudden who used to see the brand as being for their mothers or their aunts, they started to see how they could wear it and they could style it. And, you know, maybe it's about wearing one of their amazing pants with a t-shirt or wearing, they're turning their skirts into a mini skirt instead of a long skirt. So that was a really exciting project because you see, so one, one of the trends, one of the things that we see happens a lot in, in Colombia and Latin America is that People really master the product. Designers master the product. But you have to sort of remember that there are all these elements around the product that you really need to also strengthen in order to make it uh, marketable. So there's the branding. There's the logo. There's the lookbooks. There's the the girl you're going to pick to wear the clothes. There's the Instagram, the website. So it's all of that sort of 360 brand image even the the about the brand like so we we rewrote like the history of Bombo. we made a whole timeline really to show to kind of tell the story so it was an exciting project because I think that was one of the first times where we really went from we weren't just doing PR and sales for the brands right. like we were really working with them on their product on their branding how to curate a collection all of this so but you've been really key, I think, to developing uh, a platform for Colombian designers. I mean, they always done a great job, mm-hmm. but I think since you and Clo have come into the scene, you're like Las Hadas Madrinas, you know, it's like the fairy godmother that comes and says, well, you know, you're very pretty Cinderella, <laughs> and with a little touch, you're just going to find your Prince oh, Charming. Thank you. No, and, exactly. But I, but I think that it doesn't take away from the work they have done. Of course. What do you see is, uh, and we're not going to focus on the things that designers in Latin America do very well, because mm-hmm. we already know that they have a lot of talent. Yes. What do you see as a recurrent mistake, you know? that people make I think that let's see I think that sort of switching on before is remembering that you have to like your brand has to communicate 
the same brand level. And if you want to be a luxury brand, it has to communicate luxury at, at every touch point. So that's, you know, maybe investing in your website or really having a social media account that speaks to your target customer or, you know, really making sure that your collections have consistency from one to the next and, you know, consistency with, with some innovation, but basically having a, I think that some brands forget that your brand identity has to, it has to be continuous and it has to be, yes, at every touch point. So these details, like how you're like the voice of your social media, or for example, you know, sometimes we've, we've seen brands maybe put the cart before the horse. Like if they're developing a collection, they'll develop it all with one material and then they have like an afterthought. They just want to add another material, but it doesn't right. really make sense with the evolution of the brand. And I think that your experience in as an editor, because mm -hmm. many times people don't understand that the talent of an editor is just putting a lot of information together that makes sense and it's chronicled exactly. correctly. Exactly. So you're, you're using that experience that you had at Vogue and W to really put together something that exactly. makes sense. What happens when a client is resistant uh, to change? Well, so basically our approach has always been we've let clients come to us before approaching them ourselves because we really do say, we say, okay, if you want to work with us, the conditions are you have to listen to our advice and, you know, we're going to be honest with you and we are not going to, if you send us a collection where we think some pieces aren't going to reflect the standard of the showroom then, or we don't think they're going to be received well, like we're not going to show them. So it's sort of that tough love where it's much easier. If someone comes to you saying, I think I could use your help. Then we say, okay, this is what we would suggest rather than us going saying, hi, your brand needs our help. So in that way, it's, um, I think in that way, we, we really establish in the beginning that it has to be, uh, we have to be working together. So they, it's very important that they listen to our advice. And then I find that when they have, it really goes well. Um, let me see, what's an example of maybe a time when they're resistant? I mean, I think that Honestly, like for, with some clients, we've felt that if it comes to a point where they're resistant and they don't really want to evolve how we see it, we've we've really said, you know, it's better we don't work yeah. together anymore. We walk away. And, yeah. Or, you know, so... But that also speaks about integrity because I think many times in this business, uh, people... And this business is very different from other segments. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to build your credibility. If you Definitely. don't have credibility, you're done Exactly. So many times people don't understand how you, you know, how saying no to something, you might sound arrogant when in turn you're really sacrificing definitely revenue that can come in because it's going to hurt you at the long term. Because one of the things that you had was you had a big networking yes. uh, and, and you tapped into that. Exactly. Okay. So they are very, both very nice <laughs> and they're very stylish and that helps a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, no, but it's the truth. I mean, you have that persona, which many times people that want to start in this business forget that this is not something you can do from, you know, a closet and no. hide from the exactly. world. It's true. No, and I really think what you said, integrity and credibility are so important. And 
we've definitely had brands approach us who you know have lots of money, can pay high fees, all this, but we've said no because really, so you know, our business is built on our contacts, so our our editors, the buyers we work with. Our business is built on them believing that we have a good eye and that we have a good uh, instinct for what brands will do well and that we have good taste. So if we start to compromise that at any point, then, you know, you lose that credibility. And so it's really, we're always very aware of, you know, if we put the Creo name on a brand or, you know, even if we put something on our Instagram, like we really have to uh, believe that we're aligned with the brand that we believe in it and that it has, it's at the taste level and the refinement that we that we would expect. Another, yeah, our clients would expect, yeah, definitely. Now, the company is, what, two, three years? I mean, how long have you been? now three years. Three years. So you've done an incredible work of positioning. I think everybody wants to work with you guys because (laughs) you're like the pathway to great press and selling in (laughs) Moda Perandi and, you know, all these great places. But they cannot be fooled. it's a lot of work and not everybody's going to do it. No, right? definitely. It is a lot of work. And, you know, I think at a certain point, brands also realize it, it can take a lot of investment. Um, so it's always very important. So, you know, I think we were talking about this earlier today before our chat, but it's so important for young brands to really have a very clear sense of their business plan, of uh, their five-year plan, their 10-year plan, of how, you know, if they want these services... Uh, what will be the return on their their investment? And if they really do intend in growing, then it, it is important to have like your financial position very clear. And yes, to make sure that your your business will be profitable. Because of course, th- this industry is very glamorous. It's very fun, but at the end of the day, everyone's trying to make a living. And so that you know, it always goes back to that aspect. I see that there are a lot of uh, entrepreneurs mm-hmm. today. And uh, a lot of consultants. Yes. It's becoming a little murky mm-hmm. because not everybody has the credentials. Definitely. And I'm a bit concerned. I mean, I'm not saying I'm the best consultant in the world. I'm just saying that at least I have the credentials that I've done something. Yes. You've had the credentials, you've done something. But there's a lot of misguided, um, you know, now anybody can be a consultant. Now, anybody can know about what needs to be done. What are your thoughts about that? It's, no, I agree. It's definitely a trend that I've seen. I think a lot of people are emerging. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll work a few years at a company, then leave and become a consultant. And, you know, I'm sure that I, I think a lot of people, sure, have great maybe contacts or ideas that they can contribute. But I think it's very important to always sort of come back to the science of it because, it really is, you know, there's there's a method to building a brand and there's a method to being strategic about press. There's a method to being strategic about your brand identity. So you really want to make sure that whoever you're working with really is an expert at that because, you know, there, there are ways of really... And what do they bring to the table? Exactly. Like I had once a person come into my office for an interview and she was doing great. And then I asked her, you know, why do you want to work here? Mm-hmm. At the time, I was working at Vogue. And she said, because I love fashion. 
And I said, well, I love Godiva chocolates. Actually, my favorite is open oyster, by the way, whoever wants to give me a Christmas gift. Besides donating to uh, any charity that you want, just open oyster is my favorite addiction. And I said, and I love them, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to work for Godiva or that I'm qualified to work for Godiva. Exactly. So I think that there's a huge difference. And I see today that um, brands are utilizing people that have influence and they're great, Mm -hmm. but they are not the arbiters of uh, a strategy. Exactly. No. And it really is about strategy and, you know, for... We've, we've seen with some of the brands we work with, for example, like we work with one jewelry brand who's fantastic. And, you know, the first step is getting her the exposure. So, you know, we basically introduced the brand to a lot of great press, to influencers. People started to wear it. She got great media coverage, all this. And then a lot of stores wanted to pick her up. So Barney's picked her up. Then uh, Moda Brandy, Aaron Lauder's store. But then, you know, certain things happen where all of this interest is wonderful, but then you have to think, okay, what, like, do you, you don't just go into every store. You have to be very careful about which stores you pick, what uh, sales terms you're going to agree to these stores, like what exclusivity, uh, how do you balance, you know, competing interests between your clients. And there's so much strategy to it that you really can't sort of go at it blind. Um, And it's almost like, even when all the good things start to happen for a brand, all these dreams, being in Barney's, Bergdorf's wants you, Nordstrom's wants you, all of this is, it's the dream, but it can be quite stressful if you don't have a, a real strategy behind how you yeah, I always envision tell, working with them. I always tell designers that they should just relax and that the final goal shouldn't be getting your name in a big store just because you want that to be... Because, you know, there's such a pressure on success. Exactly. Like you build a fashion brand, or you, be, you build any any business, mm-hmm. and in five months they haven't bought you for $7 billion, you're <sighs> a failure, basically. No. Or if I mean, you are not in, in work of Goodman, you're a failure. Who defines success? Exactly. I think success, by the way, is being uh, mentally healthy. <laughs> Definitely. No, it is. And it's it's knowing what's important to you. So like, right. what are your goals? And so we often ask our clients to say, what, what are your goals? Like, what do you envision? What do you want? And then how can we help you get there? Um, but, you know, I really like what you were saying also. Sometimes it takes time. And I think you also have to think about the long game, as they call it. So... I mean, you see so many of these brands right now, like Johanna Ortiz, she's been working for I, I, almost 15 years, 20 years. years. Yes. Then Paola Mendoza was working for 10 years before she got any recognition. And she uh, and Paola has networked to, I think, even during her sleep. Definitely. Of course. <laughs> she's like a machine. Yeah. She talks to everybody. She's out exactly. there. Exactly. No, and definitely. We actually introduced her to the brand Cano, which is the Colombian heritage brand who she's now working with. So Don't you feel proud when you've done all this amazing yes. work? And no, it's very exciting. It and must be great. Yeah, no, it was very satisfying to see how we could help Cano so much uh, because people were very, I mean, we've always really loved the brand, but a lot of people, especially from Colombia, were very skeptical about it. And they're saying, Hi, how can you, you know, even some of our other clients were saying this brand is it's been around forever. How could it be a fashion brand? How do you see it? And we really we actually found it not that difficult to turn it around. And we ended up getting them a pop up in Bergdorf's. We um, 
facilitate this introduction with Paula and sort of conceptualize that collaboration. So, yeah, and then it, so it's very exciting to see that turnaround. That's amazing. So let's talk about you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you're not going to speak at Princeton. Yes, I am. When are you speaking excited. at Princeton? Next week, so yeah. October 5th. Okay, yes. so this is going to be actually, our podcast is going to come out a bit later. Oh, great. Uh, from, from that. <laughs> um, but, you know, you're very well prepared in the sense that you, you know, you had already a great job at Vogue W, but you went to in search of a master's, and now you speak at Princeton, and you're so <laughs> eloquent and so smart. So oh, here are probably people listening to this, and they're like, okay, I want to be like her. Oh, no. Okay, so, Giovanna, if I want to be like you, mm -hmm. what should I do? Okay. I'm never going to be like think. you. Uh, no. Because it's your DNA, so I can't, <laughs> you know, can't copy that. But, you know, I, you know what I mean. No, of course. So, I think the, over the years when I've thought about this, like, what leads to a, a healthy career is, so one of the first things, pieces of advice I got that now I tell people is sort of find the best uh, tail coats that you can find and hold on to them. So basically that translates to find the smartest, most successful people you can find and work for them. And that will always lead somewhere good. And work for them for a couple of years. Yeah, for a couple like, of years. don't leave after a year. Exactly. Thinking that I already know everything because I always told them, tell them that you need to wait for the curve. Definitely. Like to go down and up. Like Of course. No, and, and that plays into another piece of advice I would give is, you know, you definitely have to put in, put in your time doing, you know, the, the entry level work. When I was at Vogue, I was making like, you know, 800 person guest list for the Met Gala. I was sitting there updating Excel sheets all day, doing errands, sending samples. So everyone needs to put in their years of hard work that might seem like, you know, just menial labor at that point. But it really does pay off and it, it builds, like, I think it makes your, your seniors really have more trust in you and then they'll help you in a couple years from now. You know what I mean? So it's important to, you know, no job is too small. And I think if you, you know, you suck it up when you're starting out and you work very hard and then it'll, it'll come back to you. Who has been, um, or, or who has been the person that has been the biggest influence in your life? And let's see. I mean, career-wise, probably my my first boss at Vogue has been a, a big influence. So she, her name's Silvana Ward-Durrett. She was the director of special events. And she actually also went to Princeton. That's how I uh, originally got the job. But basically, I learned a lot from her in terms of work ethic, in terms of how to be a leader. And I've made an effort and we just we got along a lot as friends anyways but uh even now I still go to her for advice um she just recommended a great web designer for us and she actually now launched her own startup called Maisonnette um so now we sort of it's great to have someone like that who's also had a lot of entrepreneurial experience at this point so I think that's also very important to always um keep a relationship with your mentors and that will always be like very rewarding down the line. Um, and then I guess another big influence on me has been my, my mom, I would say. So she is very active in Colombia. She has a foundation that basically fundraises to create uh, really amazing social impact projects. 
So she has a school that basically is called um, the Tecnocentro Somos Pacifico in Cali, in Cali, Colombia. And it offers vocational training and arts training and uh, computer uh, skills to uh, kids in a very disadvantaged neighborhood. And she's also brought a, an amazing project from Chicago called Cure Violence. Um, they actually made a documentary about it in the States last a couple years ago, but she's implementing that also in Cali now. So uh, it's very exciting to, to work with her now because I'm actually also on the board of her foundation. So yesterday, was it yesterday? on Monday, we, uh, I went with her to a, a lunch that they did for the new president of Colombia, uh, Ivan Duque. And it was really amazing to hear sort of all the possibilities. There's so much energy now in Colombia for like social impact and entrepreneurship. So it's fun. Now I get to work with my mom a bit. That's phenomenal. That's incredible. Yeah. So if someone would have to describe you in one word, Mm -hmm. Giovanna is, (laughs) what would it be? Oh, Giovanna is... mm, I, maybe dynamic makes sense just because sense. I think I've tried a lot of different things. So I've gone from, I majored in art history at Princeton to then working in fashion to then starting this consulting company. And then now I'm actually also doing an MBA at Columbia University here in New York. Okay. So what vitamins do you take? A vitamin? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, it's funny. Late, I mean, <laughs> I'm 30 now, but when I was applying to schools, I just realized, you know, I was like, I, I, I have a good sense of how this industry works. I, I feel like I know, you know, I've been trained to be a professional, all this, but I realized I just still didn't understand a lot of the basics of running a business and finance and all of this. So I was like, you know, I really, I felt like there was a gap in my knowledge. and That's very smart of you because when I, I started so young mm-hmm. and then I realized that. I, because of destiny or whatever you want to call it, opportunity, I had, you know, got to the top, but I didn't know anything. No, definitely. I mean, at the end of the day, I didn't know a lot of things. And now in this new stage of my life, I am just open up to learning. Yes. Well, I talk a lot, but I'm opening up to learning about other things that I don't know. Of course. So it's very smart what you're doing because you're not, you're just not saying I... We've created a company. We're doing great. Let's enjoy this ride. Exactly. No, I thought it was very important to really learn about that. I mean, subjects like accounting, corporate finance, um, all of these aspects that are so integral to running a business that now it's it's really given me so many more ideas for how we can expand in the future. I've met really interesting people and just being able to think more like, because yes, everything is a business at the end of the day. And hopefully in the future, I'd like to be able to help our clients more with their business plans, with their margins, with their strategies. So excited for that. But no, the, the other piece of advice I was going to give is that I think, like you said, uh, I think it's important to always keep learning. And I think especially right now, the world, how it is, the, you know, industries are changing so much. We don't know what the future of jobs is going to look like. Technology is changing so fast that really I think the best thing that you can do to be prepared is just to always be learning and always be right. open to that. Because what should somebody study now? Exactly. No, it's so hard to gauge. And, you know, 
the generation before us, you would pick one career track and stay in it. You'd maybe work for one company your whole life. And that is changing so much that I think it's important to like always be picking up new skills. Like you can't really fall behind in technology, you know, like go maybe take a class in coding or take a class on, you know, Excel, anything just to kind of keep your, your skills sharp and up to date, I think is very important. And so that's something I hope to do is just to always keep learning and growing because yeah, the world is just changing very fast. <laughs> so you now have created a, an incredible opportunity for Colombian designers. Mm -hmm. Are there other markets in Latin America that you would like to explore? Yes, definitely. No, we're, we're, we're very open to really having more of an impact in other countries. We think Peru has a lot of possibility, uh, Costa Rica, um, definitely like Mexico. We actually have never done an official work trip to Mexico. So that's on our wish list for the next year or so. And I think that there's a lot to do. And even Brazil, we've worked with some designers from Brazil and also Argentina. We're also hoping to go there in the near future and really explore the market. So hopefully, yeah, so hopefully what we've been able to do for Colombia, we can, we can, find great partners in these countries and and keep pushing it to really expand for the whole continent. You know that I always uh, end up all of the podcast saying that I believe in the yes, you can. And I know it sounds mm -hmm. very, you know, redundant no, and, it's and very true. basic, but I, I think that anything is possible. Definitely. Um, so what does it mean for you? What does it represent? Yes, you can. well, it's funny because Clo-Clo and I, We, we often talk about how important it is to be a yes person and not a no person. And we have trouble with no people. But basically, I think, yes, you can. And being a yes person is just when you have a challenge, just saying, we'll figure it out. And just knowing that you're going to figure it out or knowing that it's possible. Like I, I often say to Klo, I think, you know, from the very beginning, she always like, but of course, Colombian designers can sell in the best stores. Like, of, of <laughs> course, like, why wouldn't they? Like, of course, we're all going to be on Netaporte, you know? Right. So I think... That also has to do a lot with upbringing. Yes, How definitely. How your parents were with you and, you know... I think so. No, and just having having that vision in a way of just thinking, like, you know, why why wouldn't it be possible? Um, and then I think, you know, when, when people ask you for help or people need a solution, I just... I think you, you should always say yes, like let's try figuring it out um, rather than saying no, but, or, you know, <laughs> instead of saying no, but say like, what if? <laughs> It's funny that you say that because I was recently in a small plane uh, traveling from in, in, in the Dominican Republic. I was traveling from one place to another and the pilot uh, married to one of my best friends. Mm -hmm. You know, we had really bad weather and it got really scary at one uh -huh, point oh, because no. we couldn't land. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting for me because I've been a little bit on the, can we do this? I'm not sure because mm -hmm. I had to protect a lot of, of the norms and I, you of know, course, it was yeah. a different job, but sometimes when the, you have the, all the, that, yeah, the tower know, was saying, you know, so give me, give me the, uh, the climate report. Yes. And the tower is like, you know, there's no openings. I don't think that you will have visibility. And very calmly, he would answer, okay, thank you. I'm going to evaluate. Oof. And I love that answer. I'm going <laughs> to exactly. evaluate. I'm going to evaluate. I'm going yes. to evaluate. I, I'm not going to, I, I haven't made my decision. Exactly. I'm not going to rush into uh, something. 
So I found that fascinating, and I'm just copywriting it. I'm just making it my own. So next time somebody asks me, I'm gonna evaluate. I'm gonna evaluate the situation, and we'll let you know as God, soon as I, possible. That's fantastic. It's true. You have to, you know, take some time, see if if there's solutions, and then hopefully move ahead. So you know, in this moment that we live in. What you have done, I mean, you're in the United States and we know what's going on in the United States. And to be able to, in, in a climate like this, open doors for Colombian designers and make them really hot brands. I understand that there is a, yes. a public out there who really loves that. Yes. It really gives us hope Definitely. to the future. So I congratulate you, oh, thank you. and your better half. Yes, and I look so forward close. to, there's so much more to talk about. I, mean, I want to ask you a, a lot of questions, but we'll leave... We'll, we'll leave that for another occasion. Again. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me.